Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are doing our bonus holiday episode. Yes! Merry Christmas! Happy New Year! Yes! Happy Holidays! Such a uh, my favorite time of year. Yeah. <laughs> We're wrapping up Pride and Prejudice 1996. We just had so many notes left over that we really wanted to have an extra episode. Plus, we never really got to say our final thoughts in the last episode. <laughs> we just have so much to say. I know. But we have so many memories to share with you guys. We got a lot of people sending in their memories of Pride and Prejudice, and I can't wait for you to hear all those as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fun listening to them. I like, they all... Once I started seeing them all like pop in on the email box and everything, it was so <laughs> exciting. I was like, I never thought I would get this excited to hear from people. I know. I was so worried for a little bit there. And then every time we got to do it, it was just like, yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm excited to share them. Yeah. And we got one voicemail on the website, which I felt the most right. excited about out of all of them. Because <laughs> it's such like a specific way to reach us. Like, go on yeah. this website and leave a one minute voicemail. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and she did perfectly. Like exactly fifty nine seconds. <laughs> said everything <laughs> she wanted to say. I was very impressed. <laughs> so, how was your Christmas? Did you have a good Christmas? I did. Um, I was talking with my mom because when she takes her dogs to get groomed, it's right by my house. So she'll come over and we'll like just hang out. And she was saying how weird this Christmas is this year because she's like, you know, it doesn't, it feels so rushed. Like I didn't feel like I was prepared for it. I didn't really feel like I did anything to prepare for it. And I kind of felt the same, but you know, and uh, I was gone. We were in New York for like about a, a week which is you know a fourth of this month and so we just didn't it felt so weird but it like once the actual like stuff started happening which for my family is on Christmas Eve it was just like it felt like oh, okay we're back into our normal groove like we're <laughs> we're eating lots of great food and just you know hanging out and of course getting lots of fun presents and uh, yeah. I for once got most of, I like didn't have to rush last minute. I got things that everyone uh, really appreciated and it felt less like here's a gift card, <laughs> which Aww. I, gift cards are great. I love gift cards, but you know, I'm just, a, <laughs> I like to do the most because I am. Yeah. I like, I like presents because, you know, the older you get, the less you really need stuff from other people because you right. get yourself what you need. So I feel like a gift card is just kind of like. I mean, it's good for like people who need resources, but like if you're mm-hmm. kind of good and you don't really need, you know, money specifically, <laughs> then I right. think it's nice to get a gift and just, you know, see what that person thought of when they thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I really am very good about like if someone mentions this one thing like three months ago, I'm like, let me file that away and <laughs> casually search. And just like, you know, maybe get it ahead of time and store it somewhere secretly in my house. So it was yeah. a lot of that. Oh, and it felt, good. it was fun. I had a really great time. How was your holiday? <laughs> Mine was good. It also kind of felt like, because I'm getting my kitchen redone. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like sucked all of the fun. <laughs> being able to, <laughs> like I can't really decorate. I can't right. cook anything. 
And I kind of had the Halloween spirit <laughs> was a little, I, I felt it, you know, extend to Thanksgiving for me. So mm-hmm. the Christmas felt really like you said, rushed, but, and I wasn't planning mm-hmm. on getting anyone gifts this year because I wasn't going to see that many people. And I was like, oh, I'll right. just get kids gifts and whatever. But then at the last minute, I just decided, you know what? I'm getting everybody gifts. <laughs> so I got people who <laughs> normally would never get a gift. <laughs> it was fun. And then I spent the whole Christmas Eve and Christmas at my dad's house. So that was fun, <laughs> especially now that I lived down the street. So I could like walk back and forth and I Makes exhausted my Cooper, the the puppy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was, it was Cooper's first Christmas. Special. Yes. And Aww. boy, did he get tired. <laughs> <laughs> He's so crazy. He's got so much energy. He's, He's so got crazy. a addiction to tennis balls right now. So it's been a struggle. <laughs> well at least he like has an affinity for a toy that Mm. you like there's plenty of tennis balls or it's not like you have to figure out what he's gonna like oh because mabel she just destroys everything so we're like here's your one toy a year because you're gonna destroy it in the next (laughs) 10 minutes and then it won't be able to do anything with it oh yeah he's getting a backlog of toys so i kind of wish he would destroy some of them but yeah No, he's obsessed with the tennis ball. And if he sees a tennis ball or knows where one is, he is like singularly focused. And (laughs) he'll bark in your face to tell you why he wants it so bad. (laughs) (laughs) To the point of exhaustion. Uh, Right now he's passed out behind me because we were playing to the tennis ball earlier. (laughs) (laughs) At least he got his fill. (laughs) Yes, but we had a really good response to Pride and Prejudice, which I, of course, yeah. I knew we would because it's so such a popular, you know, adaptation. Mm-hmm. And the only thing about this Christmas, I would say, is that I was really intending to do a lot of work for the podcast, and instead, I did zero <laughs> anything. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you do a lot of work for the podcast, and I think a break <laughs> is justified. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really the kitchen because I just am like, oh, I'll put it off, I'll put it off, I'll put it off, I'll put it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now that we're reaching the last of the recorded <laughs> episodes, like. So we have a plan for the next month for January. We, I was going to mm-hmm. say that we could take take off two weeks or three weeks or the whole month. But then we decided we should re-release our earliest episodes. Yeah, that's great. And I actually spent today going over the, the ones we're going to release first, the mm-hmm. David Lynch ones. And they <laughs> definitely was like, oh we've definitely improved and uh, we, ha- we didn't know what we were doing at the time we didn't really have a particular format and the sound was still really like loud the the um transition music the transition music was really loud i mean not really really loud but you know Notice i understand why people complain about it <laughs> <laughs> so i just went through and tried to like fix it up as much as possible but we weren't even using the same recording software so it was like really hard to to fix it at this point but i think i fixed it <laughs> without having to do too much <laughs> extra work so you'll get to hear our early days and go whoa they've really they've come a long way in two years <laughs> yeah i think it'll be really interesting for people to see like maybe people who came in during this adaptation or people who came in through sanditon or 
later on in Twin Peaks, like to see our early, early days and to hear us talk about something, maybe if you haven't gone back in the archive yet, to hear us talk about something that maybe you've been like, well, that's where that's been. That's why I've been waiting for that episode because it's already been done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you could just go back and listen to the old ones, but a lot of times, you know, people don't really like to do that. And it's been two mm-hmm. years now, so I think it's, if you've been listening the whole time, it'll be fresh enough. If not, you know, skip yeah. it, whatever. <laughs> Come back in February. Yeah. We'll have new stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you never know. Maybe if you watch it again, you'll have some different thoughts than you did the last time you listened to it. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, it's so much better without all that loud music. <laughs> <laughs> you could see, like, I... Because when I started editing it, I just was like, you know, I didn't know which uh, sound clips I would put in between what things. And like, as uh-huh. the podcast gained more structure, I just would always hear the music that I thought should be playing in my head. And so it kind mm-hmm. of ended up becoming fairly standardized. It's not always exactly the same, but <laughs> you can hear it in this one. And it's like, oh, that's some different choices I was making. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily it was very... bad, just... Different. Yeah, it was very experimental phase. We were just getting started. We we're figuring out what we want to do. So as long as you go into it with that mindset, then yeah, you'll you'll be happy with what you hear. I'm sure. <laughs> and you were like, I don't know anything about any of this. <laughs> <laughs> that was the real the real novice days where I was like, uh, <laughs> Jane, who? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, just to let you know what's going on. Maybe we should play a clip from someone. Yeah. Okay, well, let's start with uh, Kristen from First Impressions Podcast. All right. <laughs> so this version of Pride and Prejudice and I go way back. I talk all the time about how it made me the person I am today. And honestly, it helped me tremendously with my own personal growth. I wouldn't be the same person if I hadn't been obsessed with it as a teen because it's pretty life-changing for when you're an impressionable teenager to see the way that Elizabeth sort of stands up for herself to Lady Catherine, to Darcy, and how she changes and grows based on her understandable mistakes and how her perceptions of people grow and mature. And uh, I think what's remarkable about this version of Pride and Prejudice as a miniseries is it will color the way you read the book And especially if you see the miniseries before you ever have read the book. Because I read Darcy in a much different way, being colored by Colin Firth's performance, as someone who's just terminally shy, who doesn't know how to talk to people. The piano scene in this adaptation uh, is amazing, especially because you can actually see Darcy and Elizabeth miscommunicating so clearly And the point that Elizabeth is making that you have to try to develop relationships and to do your part in building those bridges, and that's a responsibility that everyone has, so you need to practice it, it just clearly goes straight over Darcy's head, but you so strongly relate to what he's trying to say, which she totally misses, which is, you and I, we understand each other, you can understand me, and I want you to know me so intimately. And... Badly afflicted with social anxiety as I was, I really just wanted one person to deeply understand me like Darcy did. And then for Elizabeth to come on the scene and say, no, you have to try. You have to build relationships with everybody. You have a responsibility to other people to get off your bum and stop feeling sorry for yourself and try to develop those social skills that you're struggling with so mightily. The understanding that, you know, seeing Elizabeth grow, seeing Darcy grow, they really do have this 
relationship at the end where they're so closely mentally and emotionally connected. And that's what, of course, I wanted and everybody wants. But it doesn't get him off the hook. He still has to learn (laughs) to relate to her, to be social, to learn to laugh at himself. And so I think it's those lessons that are so enduring for me and are so visible in the 1995 uh, miniseries. And that's why I love it so much. It's just so important to me. Aw. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Yeah, yeah, I never... I liked the comment she made about, like, seeing Darcy in kind of this different light. Or when she said reading him, I, now I'm kind of excited to read the book because I do wonder what my impression of him through like Jane Austen's own words would have been reading them rather than seeing it on screen. But um, uh-huh. seeing him as this person who was just not necessarily snobby just for snobby's sake, but maybe is just socially awkward and doesn't understand social graces with everyone, only understands the places that he was brought up in. So it's just really interesting to think about him in that way. And maybe it gives more leeway to have sympathy for him rather than just write him off and be like, what a jerk. Oh, definitely. And I think even in like, there's an 80s, I feel like every adaptation from 80s on, mm-hmm. you like, it's like Darcy is more of just like an awkward person <laughs> as opposed to like <laughs> a snob in his own way. Right. But, but yeah, the piano scene specifically is just like one of those great scenes just written from Jane Austen. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's played so well. Colin Firth, of course. Tins across the board. (laughs) (laughs) The best Darcy ever. Um, I do also like the, um, because I, I, when I was going through like the messages and stuff, I noticed a lot of people had mentioned like when they first saw it, they were like a teenager or like they were younger. And I like the idea that this Pride and Prejudice is very much like almost like a teaching you a lesson, but like hiding it very well. Like, you know, about first impressions and about, you know, getting to know people and going outside of your comfort zone and does a great job of just like making it, not babying everyone and like telling them to figure it out for themselves. And I really love that. Yeah, it's great. I wish I had um, watched it. (laughs) I only watched this back then. (laughs) I know. Yeah, but it's, it's got a lot of good lessons. Jane Austen Mm -hmm. was a a good soul. (laughs) Yes. So wise. (laughs) <laughs> Miss Austin and Jennifer Ely, I mean, she She's really, so good. her and Colin Firth just had that spark mm-hmm. between them. <laughs> okay, well, let's listen to Emily and Lauren from Reclaiming Jane, Ooh, which good. I have to say, I was listening to the Masterpiece podcast because you know mm-hmm. I'm a Masterpiece lover, and they were doing it on Sanditon, and uh-huh. I heard Lauren from Reclaiming Jane show up on there. And I was like, what? Podcaster in the house? (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. I know. I was very impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. You say the word masterpiece and I'm like, you're a scholar. You're way, you're the smartest person I know. (laughs) Are you knocking your microphone over over there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently. I was too excited. All right. (laughs) Here, I'll play that one. Hi, this is Lauren. And this is Emily. And we are the co-hosts of the Reclaiming Jane podcast. So Lauren, what is your favorite thing associated with 95 Pride and Prejudice? 
Uh, I think mine is a, a memory associated with it, and it's watching the 95 Pride and Prejudice for the first time, for me at least. But you were also there. It was our freshman year of college. Aww. I had never seen it before, but as is a surprise to no one, we are friends with a bunch of nerds who insisted that we watch the more uh, book-faithful adaptation <laughs> in one sitting. But it was made more fun by the fact that I was watching it with a bunch of people and we just pretty much made a day, made a party out of it. And it was a great time. I have I have fond memories of that. What about you? What was what's your favorite memory or character or moment in the adaptation that's your favorite? I think my favorite thing that I can kind of pick out off the top of my head is the way that Caroline Bingley was acted. Ooh. Just her actress was so like expressive of what is seemingly going on in Caroline's mind. Um, and I just I just really loved it. She just comes off like so exquisitely judgy. 100%. Just her facial expressions. Absolutely. She just played it so well and so haughty. It was beautiful. That is the exact word I'm looking for. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now we know that she is actually a relative of Jane Austen. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The character was essentially written for her in a way. <laughs> I do. I really do like that, Caroline, especially because like I said throughout the recapping, like I felt so bad for her. Even though mm-hmm. I knew she was being bad and, you know, like doing hateful things. But I just knew it was coming from a place of, well, I have this unrequited love. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And I feel like she comes off as more human and you kind of understand. You are you can almost like see yourself more in, in her role. She's a very relatable Caroline because yeah. you're like, well, maybe I would also act like a mean person if I was rejected by someone who I was supposed to be with. Right. Well, if you've put in all the work to (laughs) try to get this guy (laughs) and then suddenly you go to this new place and he's just like, nope, I'm not interested in you at all. I mean, not that he ever was, who knows, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like it, but (laughs) you know, sometimes you can be a little delusional about that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, let's do some notes. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> I like highlighted the notes that we have done already and we've done quite a bit, but we still have a lot that I never got to. <laughs> and these are all notes from the special features. So Oh wow. Yeah, there were like two hours worth of special features on the four K version. Whoa. And I didn't even go back to check my old copy because I'm pretty sure that there were um some documentaries on there that weren't on this one. So Wow, <laughs> they really did their work on this one. I know the British people love their special fe- features. Like, well, if Doctor Who and Pride and Prejudice are any indication, <laughs> <but> like, <laughs> I so appreciate it because I love special features. Well, first off, Andrew Davies said that he fell in love with Austin first just because she made him laugh, and I thought that was nice. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And apparently, people were very like titillated by this adaptation you know andrew davies had said we talked about before like he really wanted to bring the sex into pride and prejudice right they still are i mean you know (laughs) (laughs) and the casting was brilliant all the cast and everyone they interviewed for this first special feature was like the casting is just brilliant and apparently the filming experience itself was just very happy 
and everyone had a really good time filming it. Uh, well, you could definitely tell. It felt like everyone had like a very genuine connection. Yeah. <laughs> then there was a special feature called Love or Money, Courtship and Marriage and Pride and Prejudice. The last one was just kind of like a the definitive Pride and Prejudice, and it was about that adaptation. But we did most of those notes. So Jane Gibson was the choreographer. Mm-hmm. The dances were supposed to look effortless, you know, at the time. And all the dance, all the dances were actually, all the Regency dances were lost to time for like 100 years. And then uh. in 1904, they were rediscovered in this book that they found that had like all of these huh. old Regency dances. Isn't that crazy? That's so cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, who would have thought that these dances would have been lost to time. I know. I mean, they're so elaborate. Of course, nobody's like, yeah, let's write. To-. I mean, you think they would have to write them down, though, for people to study know what they were <laughs> like kids in the country. How are they going to know what the dances are? <laughs> right. Well, they're so like, yeah, they're very elaborate. And there's a lot of like, there's so many steps i'm like i would need like a handbook for each one exactly but i guess they just pass it down friend to friend sister to sister mom to daughter (laughs) that's true well the men had to learn their parts too so so they they were saying in this um that this adaptation was the first to put real stakes to like the dilemma of whether to marry for love or money like they're the first to really show the but you know i they kept saying that kind of thing during this these documentaries and i was like well right. you know persuasion came out at the same time and right. you know they were just since the sensibility were was around the same time so i just feel like it was kind of in the air and i wouldn't i don't know which one specifically came out first and i'm sure they were all being worked on at the same time so right. let's just say all the 96 95 adaptations were kind of going in that direction yeah changing with the times yeah they I wrote, they were describing Jane Austen as the least sentimental writer imaginable. And I wrote LOL <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> oh, back to the dancing. I kind of skipped something. Apparently, I, I, I don't know why I wrote this out. Maggot means a fancy. <laughs> and I said that barely makes sense. So I think, <laughs> I think yeah, it was a type of dance. My brain was like, uh, oh, okay. like the maggot was a dance and it meant a fancy which i think also means a fancy dance lord i need we need if there there are too many steps and too many dances for multiple names let's pick one name and let's (laughs) stick with it for that one dance i know i'm usually pretty good at like interpreting the british version of english but (laughs) sometimes i guess It's tricky. Oh, it, and basically, and in Jane Austen's time, all the music was live, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they got like a real piano forte to use, and they used it in the score because that's what people would be playing on. Okay, so <laughs> then <we> got, <laughs> apparently Jane Austen had a rule for herself, which Andrew Davies mm-hmm. quotes a lot, that she would never write scenes of a man alone or just in the company of men because... She had never been present at such a meeting. And so that's why Andrew Davies wanted to put scenes with like Darcy and Bingley together because he's like, well, mm-hmm. I know what men are like together. <laughs> Pretty similar to women. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's not much difference. <laughs> and, you know, that helped him have more scenes of them together and outside mm-hmm. and like in their, you know, fancy outfits. 
uh, drama publicist's quote, I wrote down a quote about Colin Firth. And he said he had an extraordinary ability to be so aloof and yet so hot at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) At the time, the O.J. Simpson trial was going on and the Diane and Charles marriage was unraveling. More. And people were totally like fandoming over this production. Like the tabloids were writing about it. This is like pre really internet internet. I mean, there were Uh a little bit of internet, but it wasn't hardcore internet. The tabloids were writing about it. It was just like a huge hit, especially in England. And apparently Andrew Davies wasn't 100% on Colin Firth at first because when he came in originally, he was doing another role. And so he had like blondish red hair at the time. Interesting. I guess he was not nearly as hot as he wanted him to be. And <laughs> Super Whistle, though, had worked with him before and really wanted him to be playing Darcy. So they dyed his hair black and he started working out. <laughs> <laughs> as for Elizabeth Bennett, obviously she's like a lot of people's favorite character like of all time, just in life right. in general. So it's a lot to live up to, but they really liked Jennifer Ely's like mischievous quality to her. Yeah, I like. Yeah, that. which I, think I never you... thought of it. Yeah. Oh, did I, I say something? Like you were commenting on that <laughs> the first day, the first episode. Uh, forget my own words, but yeah, I like that. It seems to like play more to her age. I think instead of her being like this, I'm wise. I know what's going on. She's like, you know, I know things, and I'm doing things to cause trouble because it's fun yeah and like your thing about how she likes to make jane laugh it's all for the com- yeah. the comedy yeah i mean that's her and her dad's whole thing is they like to laugh at people and they're foibles right. so <laughs> <laughs> they the costumer which i didn't write down her name but they hired a lot of the costumes from italy Ooh. apparently but she had to actually make all the breaches because I guess Italian breeches were like too fancy. <laughs> <laughs> too ornate. <laughs> too like silken or whatever. Ah. And she just went to, I think she went to like some clothing museum, she was saying, like a fabric museum. And she was like just taking pictures of all the different swatches because I think they ended up having to make a lot of their own fabric. Oh, wow. Especially because a lot of the men's clothing just doesn't exist. <laughs> They right. only really have the women's clothing. So, yeah, they printed a lot of their own fabrics. Okay, meanwhile, the reaction at the first press screening was particularly excited and, like, buzzy. And mm-hmm. that's when everyone, you know, involved knew, okay, this is going to be a hit. Actually, when it was when it, Colin Firth was out of the country filming when it was coming out and mm-hmm. when all this media frenzy was going on. So he came back to... England to find that he was a sex symbol. (laughs) (laughs) So not a bad thing to come back and find yourself to be. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it's in another one, but I think that the, like the crazy publicity and little love of it actually kind of freaked him and Jennifer Ely out because I think, I don't know for sure, but I know they kind of seem to distance themselves. Like she went to do theater. It's pretty much, uh-huh. Mostly. And he kind of was like, I don't want to be Darcy forever kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if they, it was nowadays, they would, it wouldn't be the same. Like, 
I don't know, something about the craziness of the press back in the 90s was just like too insane. (laughs) But now people seem to appreciate that kind of thing more. Yeah, well, I think a lot of a lot of the times you hear like the British press is so I think the, the word that comes to mind is ravenous when it comes to like stories and just having stuff to put out like definitely a lot more than it is in the U.S. nowadays. And so I could totally see them him coming back and being like, everyone is going crazy over me. And yeah. <laughs> it's probably a, like very overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. Um, this was actually Amelia Fox's first role. I don't know if we mentioned that. We might have already mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they basically all knew they had made something good, but they didn't know that it was going to appeal to the 10 to 12 millions of people who watched it. And wow. it was like one of those all quadrant shows that was popular across all sectors. And it was a water cooler show. People were talking about it week to week. Huh. <laughs> but, but of course, <laughs> <laughs> even though we didn't have internet per se, they still had pedants back in those days. <laughs> because people <laughs> would like complain. Like they really tried to get everything as accurate as they could. But like people were like, oh, they didn't use that pin for the next 20 years. Like, you know. Yeah. Very specific. So. You're like, um, okay, I yeah, think we so can make a pass. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been around forever, just so we all know. <laughs> the internet didn't create it. Right. <laughs> there was definitely a comment section before there was a comment section. Yes. <laughs> I think probably it was even worse back then because you would actually get the mail as opposed to like now where you can just be like, I don't need to actually look at any of the comments. <laughs> you know? Right. You're like, I can ignore all these. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's now listen to one from Kristen Smith, our. Yes. Our frequent our Austin guest. Our reading guest. Yes. Our yes. <laughs> our book expert unofficially (laughs) (laughs) i remember first watching this pride and prejudice adaptation when it aired on a and e and i remember really enjoying it although it may have taken an episode or two to get used to the pace and the language i had tried to read pride and prejudice in high school it was one of those books that adults were always recommending but it wasn't the light romance i was expecting the first chapter was only a conversation between lizzie's parents and who cared about them i thought obviously i didn't get it so i gave up and then I saw this adaptation. I guess it must have been around my first or second year of college. The yearning looks made it romantic, Mr. Bennett made it funny, and I guess I was just ready for a story about falling in love while being part of a complicated community, not least because I had started going out with the man who would become my husband, so I had gained a little experience in that area. This miniseries, then, is one of the main reasons I ended up loving the works of Jane Austen. After watching it and loving it, I tried the book again, and then I was hooked. I now read Pride and Prejudice every year or so, but it's been quite a while since I had rewatched the show, and it was so much fun this past week to visit that world again, like having coffee with a very old friend. The funny thing is, this time around, I'm much more interested in the world and the side characters, and less in the main romance. Darcy and Lizzie are wonderful, but all the things I thought got in the way as a teenage reader, are what make the story special and meaningful to me now, the real life and the people. And this adaptation captures all of that so, so well. It's an amazing accomplishment. So when I become one of those adults who recommends classic literature to teenagers, I'm glad I have this one to recommend as a gateway to actually reading the book. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) 
I 100% agree. The more times you watch it, the more you love those side characters, which is why I'm obsessed with (laughs) Mariah and Kitty and all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that makes me kind of excited to kind of look around and see what I missed the first time when I watched again in the future. Yeah. Maybe next Christmas. (laughs) Definitely. But I just, that's one of those things that I love about this adaptation is just like, Every single level of it is just so well thought out and good, you know, even if the pin mm-hmm. was 20 years too early. But like every actor from like the tiniest Mariah is like always doing something interesting in the background because yeah. they're like they're living their characters, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just so good. And then Jane Austen, you can tell she cared about all of the little characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I do like that idea that Kristen mentioned of like when you are younger and you're either reading the book or seeing this adaptation and you're like all the other people getting in the way of the story but like as you get older you realize oh everyone is the story and it's partially why I'm so glad that I you know didn't get the chance to read the book or watch anything like this when I was younger because I feel like I would have thought the same exact thing I would have (laughs) been here just for the love story and nothing else and I feel like I have such an appreciation for all the side characters and all the little side stories yeah that's why when I like when I know someone or you know meet someone who is like I don't like Jane Austen because of this and I'm like I mean that's one thing right (laughs) so much more than that (laughs) right the stories are so complex you have to give it a shot a couple times yeah just like David Lynch (laughs) (laughs) exactly all right, let's go back to uh, finish these notes. Okie dokie. Which all come. Oh, uh, um, well, there was one little thing that I wrote down about. They were talking about the technical restoration of it to mm. 4K from the original, which, I mean, probably isn't everybody's <laughs> most interesting thing. <laughs> but, you know, they didn't have the technology or they, they didn't have the negative oh. until months before they restored it. So, like, the second they had the ability to restore it, they did. Mm. And if you look at the side-by-side, there's, like, a really big difference in, like, the clarity and the depth of color. And I just put, they should restore the 70s and 80s ones (laughs) because you can tell (laughs) that they're, like, kind of dull and greenish compared to, like, especially the redone one. Yeah. And the, the... The sense and sensibility that we watch could definitely use a little a 4K upgrade. Yeah, the BBC ones, please, please get your restoration team out there. Yes. <laughs> if they even still have the negatives. Right. <laughs> because they, I mean, those those are hard to come by. The negatives. Like the persuasion from the 70s, it's almost mm-hmm. impossible to watch unless you buy the DVD from that like six DVD set. <laughs> That's so crazy to think about. Like, I don't know. I just always assumed that they would always be like, well, let's put it in the archive. And, you know, I guess accidents happen and things get lost. But it just seems so crazy to be like, well, it's gone forever. I mean, I have BritBox <laughs> and BBC America. Come on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Okay. So this last feature we're going to talk about is, I think, an older one. It's definitely off of a, okay. a previous release. And it starts off with the story that I think we've definitely told on here before, but I didn't realize that it was Sue Burtwistle who went with Andrew Davies to the screening of the 87 Northanger Abbey. 
Uh-huh. And <laughs> because Andrew Davies was actually her English instructor, Whoa. apparently, like back from back when she was in school or whatever. Interesting. And, you know, that it had a big impact on them, like the the sexual part part of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> she wanted a Pride and Prejudice that matched her perception that it was about sex and money. Mm-hmm. And Super Bert Whistle also, she also in her mind always imagined Lizzie as very physical because she's always described by Jane Austen as bounding and jumping. And she also knew that she wanted Colin Firth. (laughs) (laughs) Even though nobody else thought he was sexy enough. And he almost pulled out of the production because he was convinced he wasn't sexy enough. But Sue Burt Whistle convinced him. (laughs) Thank you, Sue Burt Whistle. (laughs) (laughs) She said, try on these pants and this jacket and you will change how you feel. (laughs) Let's dye your hair black. (laughs) (laughs) And Jennifer Ely knew that they were looking for a brunette Elizabeth. So she, but she had blonde hair. So she dyed her eyebrows dark. So when they put on the wig, it would look natural <laughs> before oh, the audition. The, oh, I should have written down the actor's names, but I did not. So all I can say is Mr. Bennett. He met an American biographer, like a Jane Austen biographer, mm-hmm. who was told by someone who was told by someone, you know, et cetera, like in the mm-hmm. Austen family, it was a apocryphal story or whatever, over a couple of generations that the character who most resembled Jane Austen from all of her books were none of the heroines, but actually Mr. Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's cool. So all those people who complain and are like, Mr. Bennett is bad. It's like, well, you're that's Jane Austen for you. <laughs> <laughs> She's hilarious. I know. What can you say? <laughs> you can't always be nice <laughs> when you're hilarious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the cast got to rehearse for like eh, about a week before filming, which... You know, it's definitely more than you usually get on a movie, but still not that much in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Adrian Lucas, who played Wickham, had worked with Colin Firth before on a movie when they were like 18. I don't know if it was their Whoa. first movie, but <laughs> they were really young. So they, they knew each other, and I, I don't know if I even wrote down, but they had a lot of stories about like hanging out and playing guitars. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing guy stuff. Yeah. They filmed it very out of order. Even the actors who weren't in certain episodes still were like there to film, you know, throughout Mm -hmm. the course of the shoot. So they basically were all there the whole time. The proposal scene was shot the second day of filming. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. I know. And it actually made the early scenes much more like comfortable and familial because they already were like really knew each other right by that time uh some of the actors found it hard to say the dialogue because the lines all have the emphasis at the end and i said kind of like a punchline <laughs> joke <laughs> <laughs> but i guess most people don't speak in constant punchlines but jane austen likes to write in constant <laughs> and obviously the lines that were directly from the book had to be exact so, you know, there's a lot of, I imagine, you got to get this line exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> no free wording. What's the word? Improving. <laughs> free wording. <laughs> I wrote, I've listened to so much Jade Austen. I would be great at it, she said modestly. <laughs> that was me <laughs> writing about myself. <laughs> you probably would be. 
<laughs> well, I listen. I like to listen to the books, mm-hmm. and whenever I'm listening to Jane Austen, particularly, I start talking like Jane Austen. <laughs> so I probably <laughs> would be really good at it. <laughs> they had experts in historical food. And there's a whole story about Mr. Bennett. He had this whole thing where he ate like this big bite of something called gooseberry fool. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, he had to like take that same giant bite over the course of two days as they filmed the scene. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a like a almost like a whipped cream kind of desserty thingy. Yeah, right? I had no idea what they were talking about. So I, oh, but they put a recipe up on the screen. So Ooh. for your bonus holiday recipe, I will tell you how to make gooseberry full really quick. <laughs> but it's going to be in British measurements. So you'll have to convert accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> 500 grams of gooseberries. I imagine mm-hmm. maybe cranberries or something would be equivalent. I'm not really sure what a yeah. gooseberry is. 350 milliliters of cream. 30 grams of butter, 30 grams of sugar. In a pan, you melt the butter, you add the gooseberries and sugar, and you simmer until soft. Then you put the pulp through a sieve, so it's like smooth and cool. And then you turn the cream into whipped cream, I guess, and fold it into the whipped cream. And serve chilled. (laughs) Sounds delicious. It does sound delicious. (laughs) But I guess if you eat it for two days straight, you're like, I need um, like a... 10-year break on Gooseberry Fool. (laughs) (laughs) The Netherfield ball scene took five days to film. And the early ball, the like the one they do in town, you know, Uh the smaller uh one. They did that one in a studio because they couldn't find a suitable location. Which now thinking back, I'm pretty sure that was the same situation for oh no. Of the movie, I remember something about that one. Like, they don't have that build kind of building anymore that that dance would have taken place in. But I think that maybe in that one they converted something else. But it could have just been a studio. I can't remember. <laughs> I thought I knew, and then I, no, I'm <laughs> retreating. <laughs> and all the stuff at Netherfield was shot in two different locations, and it was done three weeks apart. So... <laughs> <laughs> It turned out really good. Basically, Pride and Prejudice takes place over the course of a year. So it works really well to for them to have taken the six episodes to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And I said, next time, let's do a 12-part series. <laughs> <laughs> please. Drag it out, please. I want to know every detail. Yeah. And finally, Sue Burtwistle was clearly the hero of this adaptation. <sighs> and... You know, the actors the still receive letters and fans, probably texts and emails now, <laughs> letters from fans. And I just, you know, makes me really want to be a Jane Austen producer. And I think someone should give me money to produce an audition. <laughs> <laughs> I agree because I want to see more. <laughs> How many times <laughs> I have to ask for that? I will um, make sure there's a constant stream of Jane Austen adaptations for you to enjoy. <laughs> a very high level. <laughs> All I need is the money to make one, and I'll use that money to make another. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a final surprise fact. Gooseberries are also known as ribes, which are in the same, they're like the same thing as currants. So if you know what a current is, oh. it's basically a gooseberry. Uh, they just have a Gooseberries come in many varieties, so. Oh, do we have gooseberries in Florida? 
We don't have currants um, here, do we? Well, apparently, <laughs> as I was quickly Googling, gooseberries were illegal for a long time in the U.S. because they contributed to some plant disease that was spreading and oh. now they're making a comeback, blah, blah, blah. But you can get currants, I pretty much, I think, pretty easily. <laughs> so, you know, do you want to try gooseberry anything? Maybe try currants. Sounds great. The only thing I know about currants is Anne of Green Gables current wine <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, essentially it's like a not a grape but you know grapeish a grapeish <laughs> grapeish cranberryish somethingish plant <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> well that is all the notes so let's hear this one from mariah i think it's mariah it looks like mariah <laughs> hi my name is Maida. I'm Brazilian, but I listen to you guys from Belgium. And I don't really have a lot to share about my experiences watching the BBC miniseries. It wasn't my first uh, Pride and Prejudice adaptation. The movie, the 2005 movie, was, and I think that's one of the reasons why it has more of a special place in my heart. It's my comfort movie that I go back to over and over again. But yeah, the miniseries is just amazing to see all the details you know the book transposed so well to the screen and of course Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel or something like that they have such amazing chemistry I think they dated I don't know if it was after recording or if they were like dating already before but you can see that in the in the looks that they share it's just so good and of course I got obsessed with Colin Firth after this this um adaptation which is also ah, it's so good but yeah, that's what I want to share. Bye. <laughs> Not Mariah. <laughs> I don't even, wait, say, can you say it? Uh, I, I could hear it very well. What was it? What's, is there a spelling of it? M-A-R-I-A-H. Oh, wait, she said she was Brazilian, right? Brazilian, via Holland. <laughs> there are a lot of Brazilian people in Holland from what I'm finding out, apparently. Oh, really? <laughs> but... Very interesting. I was, because when I thought it was Mariah, I was like, did she jump every time I said, Mariah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure because it could be very similar to Spanish, but Brazilians speak Portuguese. And so sometimes Portuguese is very different. So yeah. I won't, <laughs> I don't know want to get it wrong, but thank you so much for writing in. Uh, international listener, so cool. I know, it was awesome. And she got, I mean, I can't believe how perfect her timing was because it didn't sound like, you know, planned out, like, this will take me mm-hmm. one minute, but she did it exactly a minute. And I totally understand, you know, 2005 version is amazing, too. We had nothing but good it things is. to say about that one. <laughs> but, you know, it is nice once you're, like, really familiar with the book to come to this one. And mm-hmm. even if you like the other one better, there's, I mean, you still like this one, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I think they're, like... <laughs> Yeah, there are so, like, she got a, like, I I could totally see why the movie is, like, more of, like, a comfort one, because the tension is, like, cut so short, because it's just, like, you know, less than two-hour movie, and so it's just kind of nice to be, like, I know how the story goes, and I just can watch it and totally enwrap myself in the romance and the silliness of it all and the comedy, and yeah, but yeah, it is, it's very, even not reading the book yet, it was really awesome to see like more of the book in this yeah. long form miniseries. It makes me excited yeah. to read the book. 
<laughs> I like it to last forever, so I love a long mini series. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to go that way um, just because I'm like, I want to know every single detail and I want everything to be wrapped up perfectly. Yeah, but sometimes you're like, I've got two hours. Let's just watch the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I noticed, well, actually, I'll wait to say it because I'm pretty sure in one of these other ones, somebody said it, but let me read the letter that, I, the email that I got. Yes. From Liz. She says, hi, Maya and Christian. My holidays have been extra enjoyable this year with your PMP episodes to look forward to each week. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a few memories and thoughts about this 1996 series. I probably watched it around age 16 or so. I read the book first and then reread and rewatched it and all of Austin's others <laughs> because you have to. Uh, yeah. Many, many times, she says. <laughs> Number one, it definitely had a major influence on how I thought of romantic relationships and marriage. I even tried out a few English country dance gatherings before realizing that 99% of the males involved in that scene are pretty old and only there because a female forced them to be. (laughs) (laughs) Guess dance halls aren't what they used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If only there would be like a Regency dance craze, like there was a swing dance craze in the 90s. (laughs) Right. Or like Regency times instead of medieval times. (laughs) Oh, that would be cool. Okay, back to the letter. Number two, the humor of Jane Austen is a fresh delight every time I watch this story played out. She really had a sly comedic gift. I laugh out loud at Mr. Bennett and Mr. Collins, even though I've seen it at least a dozen times. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, this is the only film where I find Colin Firth to be super attractive. (laughs) (laughs) He's a perfectly decent looking man, but Regency dress just really did a lot for him. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I kind of like didn't really come into the whole Colin Firth renaissance until I watched this. And I was like, these people might be onto something. I get it now. I feel the same way about Matthew McFadden. Like, I... Oh, I feel... I mean, he's cute and other stuff, but I've never (laughs) found him as attractive as I do in like... um, As Darcy. Darcy. Mm -hmm. And then Liz says, number four... I'm still inspired by Lizzie and Jane, their good character, and their relatable ways of dealing with life's ups and downs. I always watch the story and make parallels to my own life. (laughs) Don't we all? Mm -hmm. And number five, not really related to the series, but I had an ex years ago whose last name was Bennett. I could have been Liz Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) That's like almost reason enough to be like, they're not a shitty person. Let's just make it real quick. (laughs) I still think back on it fondly by the fact that I could have been Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been so just the perfect, perfect for a Jane Austen fan. And um, she just says, that's all I got. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for all your hard work on the podcast. And Merry Christmas. Liz. Oh, thanks, Liz. Thank you so much, Liz. (laughs) Yes. All right. And we still get a couple more. But first, before we get to those, let's do our final thoughts on the 96 adaptation. Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I really enjoyed this kind of from the get go. I am very, and I wouldn't say this is the first time, but Definitely am very excited to rewatch this very soon because I I just really had a fun time. I felt like there was like nothing expected of me when I was watching it. I feel like I could just relax and just enjoy the story. 
and get maybe more specifics that I didn't get in the movie. And so I'm just really excited for the book and to watch this again. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so glad that you had such a good experience with it because it is such a good adaptation. I mean, my personal favorite is one that nobody else's favorite will be. So, (laughs) but (laughs) otherwise, I'm just not good at picking favorites. But this is the one I probably will go back to the easiest just because like I don't ever feel like oh I just watched it I can't watch it again you know it's Mm -hmm. usually like as long as there's a month in between I'm probably fine (laughs) (laughs) not that I watch it every um, month or anything like that but it's a very easy rewatch in the sense that like I don't know like you're not ever like spoiled of it you know it's never too much yeah I agree I just I think everyone really embodies their characters really well in this. Mm -hmm. And all the details are so perfect. You know, I wouldn't know if they were right or not. But I just believe from everything that I've seen that they were trying their hardest to make sure that everything was as accurate as they could make it, which Mm -hmm. I don't need, but I appreciate, you know, and it seems so much more alive and realistic and I like it when Jane Austen doesn't feel like, you know, something from another time that we can't relate to. Yeah. It feels, you know, even though it's situations that we wouldn't necessarily be in today, they're still very universal. And I just love this adaptation. It's so good. <laughs> it is. And I like your comment about the re- the relating to it. It's just, I, that's what I love about the newer, the, as we get further like closer to the present, those adaptations always are so just feel more meaty and they feel more enjoyable just because I'm like, we're not trying to like, you know, purify anything or neuter it or anything. It's we're going to tell it probably how it really was. Yeah. <laughs> and I would enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Then we're going to add the sex back into it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which Jane Austen could really write about, you know, but you know, that right. is kind of the motivating factor of most relationships, so. Um, <laughs> essentially life, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a great holiday fair, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad we did it. Me and we too. have two more audios to play. And these are both, because we, we already did the podcast that we have met before, Reclaiming Jane and First Impressions. But here are two from some that hopefully we'll have as guests this year. One is, the first one is from the Austin Connection, which I have talked about on here before. It's a really fun podcast that interviews uh, mostly a lot of creators and like writing in the Austin space and uh-huh. very good. Hi, this is Plain Jane with the Austin Connection. So when Pride and Prejudice first came out, I was studying in London, lucky enough to be doing that. And I was living there and had been living there for some time and would continue to live there for some time. And one thing I loved about the 1995 series, Pride and Prejudice, is a thing that I loved about Britain. And so my memory really is about country walks in England. Andrew Davies started the adaptations on this tradition of getting Austin characters out of the drawing room, onto the pathways, and sometimes the ponds of the countryside sometimes that discovery of Pemberley on the screen, that dramatic scene in the series when this great house comes into view. And Elizabeth is just floored by the beauty and magnificence of the place. 
sometimes it's just the boost of dopamine that you need. And I think this is one of the things that we love about these stories on the screen is the great estates we get to inhabit, the parks we get to stroll through, and the walks we can take with the characters that we so love, even if sometimes the characters are misbehaving and not particularly wonderful or grand. Still, we get to go outside and enjoy those beautiful strolls and the beautiful countryside, the beautiful scenery with the beautiful storytelling. I hope you get to enjoy a holiday of rewatching Pride and Prejudice in the excellent company of Manners and Madness. Thank you, Manners and Madness. Happy holidays. <laughs> yes, if you, you should look up that website, if even, you know, that podcast, because she has this weekly newsletter from the plain mm -hmm. jane that she puts out and it's basically <laughs> a summary of the podcast but it's a lot of really fun information i always like getting that that's um, so cool yeah I'm like, that but totally agree i didn't even think to mention but like it's a gorgeous adaptation and every time mm -hmm. like lizzie is out on a walk or you know walking with wickham or anything it's like oh it's so beautiful except for when she's getting proposed to it you're like why are you walking through the mud <laughs> <So it's beautiful. laughs> i agree i i am a sucker for aesthetics and so if you give me a beautiful piece of film or tv or whatever i'm probably gonna watch it whether it's good or bad so <laughs> and it just so happens that we got spoiled that it was good and beautiful but I do really appreciate the nature walks of it all I feel like it makes it more enjoyable like kind of even just that simple change of scenery from being inside in a drawing room like she said to being out on a path like it just makes it more fun yeah definitely okay and finally we I reached out to the the thing about Austin, which I was saying, I was a little scared to reach out to the <laughs> previous one just because <laughs> I hadn't finished listening to all their stuff. But they are very nice and they sent us a clip and I really appreciate it. So let's listen to that one. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And we're the hosts of The Thing About Austin. Manners and Madness kindly invited us to participate in this special episode on the 1995 Pride and Prejudice. So, Diane, do you have any fond memories either first seeing this adaptation or just any particular memories that stand out to you? I think I was probably 14 the first time I saw it. I don't actually remember exactly when. I just know that it must have been out for at least a year or two because I watched it on VHS, checking out the tapes from my library. Nice. It was that classic box set where the spines make up Elizabeth sitting there with giant Darcy mm -hmm. head looking down on her, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, I'm thinking about you. <laughs> and I definitely fell a tiny bit in love with Darcy slash Colin Firth upon that viewing. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Zan? Very similar experience, really. I think I was 16 and I also watched the VHS series from the like, local library. And I distinctly remember watching these episodes at night after the rest of my family had already gone to bed. Nobody else in the family wanted to watch them with me. So it was kind of a fun, just for me kind of thing. But it also made it seem like oddly illicit to be watching Colin Firth <laughs> all alone in the dark. <laughs> Which kind of fits with the scene that we wanted to discuss, right? Absolutely. The moment that I feel like we must discuss, which really doesn't get enough play, is the bathtub scene. Mm -hmm. Because... Wow. Just wow. <laughs> Everyone is always going on about the sexy wet shirt pond scene, which, you know, I get it. Right. It's a very good scene. Right. But that scene where he's in the bath and then he gets up and he looks out the window 
and sees Lizzie out there romping with the dog. And it's like clearly a moment. (laughs) There's basically no oxygen in the room at that moment. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And how does the scene not get more play or public discussion? Like, Like when you really think about it. Darcy, he's at Netherfield. He's chilling in his bathtub, just soaking. And if that weren't alone worth mentioning, then we get the manservant who comes in and pours hot water all over Darcy's head. And then the wet hair toss happens. (laughs) Yeah, the moment where he just leans back like, oh, (laughs) yes. It really does read like a scene in one of my favorite romance novels. And then, you know, like when he gets up and he puts on the robe Mm -hmm. and he's looking out the window and he sees Lizzie. It's really that moment, again, when you're reading your favorite steamy romance novel where you're in the hero's POV and he's starting to realize, oh, I think this enemies to lovers thing is maybe going to be more lovers than enemies. (laughs) The sexual tension here is off the charts. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine what Colin Firth thought when he was reading through Andrew Davies' script? I mean, like, I need to read this scene for myself one of these days. It just, oof. Yeah, I have questions. Or just grill Andrew Davies. Right? Or Colin Firth. Either one of them. Please call us. We've got questions. Colin Firth, Andrew Davies, give us a call. (laughs) (laughs) That was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That was. But very accurate. Uh, The first time that Colin Firth feels the need to submerge himself in water to distill disperse thoughts of Elizabeth from his head. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the water in this adaptation. It's all about, you know, literal steaminess. Yeah. And I, I mean, who knows what Andrew Davies wrote in the script there, because we know he wrote about Darcy's erections several times. Right. (laughs) (laughs) to, To see that reaction would be very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that is it for our bonus episode. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about Pride and Prejudice 1996? Um, I well, I think we have one more. Don't we have another audio Do we have one? from? Do we have one? Uh, I think her name was Methal. Oh, did I miss it? The only reason I remember it is because it was the last one I listened to. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't even see this one. Let's listen. I haven't heard it. Hey, hey guys, this is Methal. I just wanted to say great work on the podcast. I'm really enjoying, you know, all the episodes. And I love both Jane Austen and David Lynch a lot. So this is like an amazing podcast. And yeah, just this adaptation of Pride and Prejudice has been so close to my heart for as long as I can remember. It's just like it fills me with so much joy. And literally every time I watch it, which is like hundreds of times at this point, I get so overwhelmed by my feelings and I have like nothing bad to say about it. It's it's perfect. But um, I will say like my favorite part is everything that happens at Pemberley especially when Darcy changes like his whole personality and Elizabeth is like what like you're you're nice now and yeah like their whole interaction is is so cute but yeah on a funnier note this is like a super minor scene but when Mr. Collins is like in the carriage and like the carriage just starts moving and he's just kind of like you know bent backwards like that's just like a little bit of physical comedy that like every time I watch it it just like sends me but yeah like I could go on and on about the show it's perfect and keep up the good work thank you oh my gosh that's so Uh. the perfect final one to listen to (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much Beethel yeah I um 
I, all, I, I think those scenes where like the shift happens, like, you know, the capital S shift is also like some of my favorites, just because in this one, it's, it's so prevalent and you can almost like feel it watching it. Oh, yeah. I think I even said that that scene where after they meet each other and they're walking in the grounds of Pemberley is like the hottest scene in the entire adaptation to me yes. because I'm just like, oh, I gotta fit myself. <laughs> the tension is so, uh, it's unreal. Yeah, and Mr. Collins does not get enough love. I mean, I feel like in the movie, there's like a whole fan culture of loving the Mr. Collins from the movie, but like Mr. Collins from this adaptation is he's, really great too. <laughs> yes, it's almost like he's so campy in this one. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. so funny. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. I love this Mr. Collins. I think I like him a little bit more just because he's so funny. Yeah. <sighs> Well, that was so great. I can't believe I missed the whole. <laughs> I'm so glad you went back. And <laughs> That's that okay. One. Oh, well, that was so much fun that we need a month off. It was a busy year and we did a lot of fun stuff and we finished it out with a bang. Yes. And we have, we're doing. We'll be doing Pride and Prejudice, the book, soon. We're going to be doing Sense mm-hmm. and Sensibility. We're going to be finishing Twin Peaks Season 2. And then there'll be so much more fun stuff in the second half of the year. So we're so looking forward to getting to all of it. And we're going to be spending January working on it all so that we'll have it all for yes. you. Plus, I mean, Sanditon is coming back out. I noticed Bridgerton oh. is coming out the exact same time as Sanditon, so... <laughs> I don't know if they're just competing with each other, but <laughs> when is that supposed to? It's going to be at the end again? of March, so we'll talk about it when we get there. But we'll probably um, be okay. covering that at least as bonus episodes when it first comes out, at least a little bit, uh-huh. and then we'll do our full episodes on it later on. But yeah, so for next, you'll be hearing our re-release of Blue Velvet which is a little yeah. a little improved. <laughs> improved. <laughs> and then I think we'll probably do Emma, our first episode as a, our Jane Austen re-release. But if you would prefer like the Mansfield Park or something, if there's another episode you prefer, let us know because we could do that one too. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, if you're like reading something or re-watching something that we've already done, you're like, I kind of want to see, I want to re-listen to that one. Let us know. Yeah. I want them to fix that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be happy to do so. But that's it for today. My dog is barking because my dad just got here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. Happy New Year. And thank mm-hmm. you so much for listening for the last two years. And we will see you guys with fresh episodes in February. Yeah. We can't wait. And leave a rating or review if you like us. We'd really appreciate it. Oh, you can leave a rating on Spotify now. So five stars. You don't even have to review. I don't think you can review, but like you can put a five stars on there. (laughs) Yes, that would be awesome. Five stars across the board on every platform, please. We'd love it. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, everyone who wrote in and sent in. Yes. Listen to Reclaiming Jane, listen to First Impressions, listen to The Thing About Austin, and listen to The Austin Connection because they're all great podcasts if you're into Jane Austen. Agreed. And (laughs) 
We'll see y'all in February. Yep. Bye. Good night.